Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast with Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire, back to Lafleur. Oh! The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. You're in the fall! Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle, une passe devant. Et c'est la bonne idée, ce sera la victoire des Canadiens. pour les Canadiens, le fac troisième de l'histoire. You found the dogs! John, you found the dogs! He found the dogs! And all together, they worked a young team to the top. And now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground. Your premier gaming destination. It's gonna be sick. An arrow on this Wednesday, November 8th. It is one minute past 10 o'clock Eastern. And of course, it is the sick podcast. And we are live on YouTube, live on Facebook, and live on Twitter. And once again, special thanks, of course, to La Bitta TV, to Playground, and to Energy Transportation Group, who, of course, bring you the sick podcast with me, Tony Marinaro. And I'm happy to bring you, and they're happy to bring you as well, our regular collaborators. And a long list it is with Eric Engels, a sports net going usually on Monday nights, Tuesday post game. It's Maxime Lapierre of TVA Sport and of La Poche Bleu. On Thursday nights, game nights, it's usually George Larac of BPM Spar. And on non-game nights on Tuesdays, it's Mike Johnson, also a rotating panel of Philippe Boucher, Anthony Martineau, Marc-André Perrault, Nicolas Cloutier, the list goes on and on, Grant McCagg, Simo the Snake Boisvert, and a regular collaborator on Wednesday nights. And tonight is Wednesday, is from TSN, their director of scouting, Craig Button. Good evening. Good evening, Mr. Marinero. How are you doing? I'm doing very good. I'm, good. I'm in fine form tonight, to tell you the truth. Fine form. Why are you in fine form? Well, I mean, you know, I think that you're in fine form every night, but well, you know, you're, you're bragging about being in fine form on Wednesday. So tell me why. I well, I appreciate you saying that, but to tell you the truth, and I appreciate all our collaborators, um, but uh, I like what we have going. As a matter of fact, I, I find <laughs> that you and I have such an undeniable chemistry that tonight, without even calling each other, look, we're wearing the same colors. <laughs> I can change, though. I have lots of different colors, but here we go, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you one of these if you want. Uh, chat to, I'm going to have to order a different size because I know you're not going to fit into mine. I'm going to have to get you a lot smaller than what I'm wearing. But you know what? After the last couple of performances, I thought this one was appropriate. Is this a joke? <laughs> All right. we. You know, the last time we talked, Craig, the Canadians had played a very, very good game in Vegas. Uh-huh. They had lost, but Marty St. Louis said, ever since I've been here, that's the best game we've played. If I can bring up their calendar for the month of November, and here it is. Thank you very much to Yellow, Sammy, and Juliana and Master Control. It's a family business. They got the whole family uh, working at it. Uh, on Thursday night of last week, there was a loss versus the Arizona Coyotes in Arizona, 3-2. Should be noted. 
that Arizona had played the night before. So it was two games and two nights for them. A couple of days later, they go to St. Louis. They lose by a score of six to three. Once again, it should be noted that St. Louis had played the night before. Last night in Montreal, the Canadians lose 5-3 to the Tampa Bay Lightning. They were down 4-0 after the first period. And once again, it should be noted that Tampa Bay played the night before in Toronto uh, and lost to the Maple Leafs. Here's the rest of the schedule. You're seeing it at Detroit tomorrow night. They play at home versus Boston on Saturday at home on Sunday versus Vancouver. A couple of days later at home versus Calgary. A couple of days after that at home versus Vegas. And then they're in Boston, in Anaheim, in San Jose, in Los Angeles, in Columbus. And we'll finish off the month of November hosting the Florida Panthers on the 30th. I had this conversation with Maxim LaPierre last night who's a former player, so he knows what he's talking about. But I said, you know, you'd expect better when you're playing an opponent who's playing their second game in as many nights. Before I tell you what he said, what do you say to that? Well, I, I, I it starts with a mindset. I mean, you, everybody knows, okay, you're, you're, playing the, you're playing a team that played the night before. And to me, the mindset has to be, we are coming and we're going to put them right on their heels from the drop of the puck. We're, like we are going to let them know that we're not going to allow them to ease their way into the game. We're not going to allow them to find a comfort uh, in, in playing the game early. We're, we're going to, we're going to push them and, and make them play at our pace at our intensity. And if they're willing to do that, that's fine. And we got a game on our hands, but we are not going to fall into the trap and the trap of like, well, you know, like, you know, we'll, we'll play. We'll, we'll not get right off the bat. You know, it's a, I, I kind of compare it to the Mike Tyson philosophy. I'm coming out and I'm going to punch you as hard as I can in the face in the first five seconds of the, of the boxing match. And then we'll see how you respond. That's the mindset. Max was saying, Tony, uh, this is, you know, nowadays in 2023, the charter flights, they eat like champions on the flight. Uh, they put great fluids in their body on the flight. They have all kinds of equipment, uh, medication, creams, you name it, products to help them with recovery. Um, they'll check into the best hotels. They'll have a great night's sleep. Chances are they won't have a morning skate the next day. They'll relax. Players are not tired a second night, a second game in as many nights. Listen, he played. I got to take his word for it, but I I, I still would have thought that you'd be at a pretty big advantage uh, because I had said to, to Max, Max, I, you know, I would think a rule of thumb for me would be that if I was going to put a dollar down on a game, I'll always take the fresher team, the team that didn't play the night before versus the team that did, especially if that team that played the night before actually won because – they're somewhat content. I don't even know if that makes sense, and I don't even know if the odds or this or or the data justify it. But Max said, "No, Tony, players they don't get tired anymore. Two games and two nights, they don't." Well, here's what I would say, and I'm not here to I'm not here to uh, disagree. You have one team that's played 60 minutes the night before, have to travel, right? Like, okay, great, you're not tired. My point isn't about if they're tired or not. My point is I'm going to test them from the drop of the puck. You know, Mike Tyson got into the ring. He didn't assume that his opponent hadn't trained 
He didn't assume that his opponent had all the best creams and, you know, was right. He said, I'm going to test you. I'm going to test you. I'm going to punch you right in the nose in the first five seconds if I get the chance. So it's not about, like, yeah, they travel. They're on the charter. Yeah. But they've played 60 minutes. I, I'm talking about a mindset from the team that you, that's going to play. The Montreal Canadiens, I'm coming right after you. And, 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 and great, if you're going to respond and you're going to be in, good, we got a game. Yeah, but well, the, the I, I am is, dictating though. it right from the first. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not suggesting. I'm going to test them though. Yeah, because I, I can guarantee you this, Tony. There are players that are tired, and there are players that are mentally tired. And are they up for it again? That's what I'm going to test. I hear you. I was look. I was one of the things I was thinking about when you said that is that. Mike Tyson, though, was not the Montreal Canadiens of 2023. Mike Tyson was the Montreal <laughs> Canadiens of the late 1970s, right? He was the champion of the world. He was a Stanley Cup champion boxer. Having said that, I totally get your point that you still have to attack the team that played the night before. Yeah, you have to yeah. be the aggressor. You have to go after them. Yep. And, it's, you know, it's, especially when you're playing in your own building, right, you're supposed to say, this is our house. But the Canadians give up an early goal yesterday. They end up giving up four goals in the first period. And one of the things I discussed with Max yesterday was I would have, if I was a coach and I'm not qualified to do so, I would have used my timeout at one point. The Canadians did not. They ended up making a goalie change after four goals. Craig, this is a um, a, a joker in a deck of cards that coaches can use if they want to. They can use it once per game, the timeout. But there are coaches who don't use it for whatever reason, and maybe they might think they don't have to because they have TV timeouts or they have a, what, what you know, I don't know. I don't think it would have changed anything in the hockey game. But just to say, I was surprised that Marty didn't use his timeout yesterday. They gave up four goals in a span of like 13 minutes or whatever it is. Yeah, and, and, and you know, coaches are going to learn. Marty, you know, Marty doesn't have 100 games under his belt yet. I mean, he's still he's still learning a lot of things. And much like a player, you're, you're going to be better in, in, in the games after you've had your first 100 than in your first 100. And you, you learn that. I'll share a quick story with you. I was Please. the manager in Calgary. It doesn't have to be quick, by the way. we got all the time in the world. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I just thought I'd be courteous. I've been accused of being long-winded, Tony. So, you know, yeah, yeah. Even, when, even when I say people joke with me, when I say, okay, long story short, they go, no, that's not true. It's long story longer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know so, what? I, I got that same habit. Don't worry about it. Go for it. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm the manager in Cal- We go into Minnesota. Jacques Lemaire is coaching the uh, Minnesota Wild. We are all over Minnesota. It's not even close. We're up. We're we're, we're up in the game. It's two one. They they score off the and then we just take it to them. I mean, I I, I want to say the shots were like nineteen to two. Okay, nineteen to two. We're, yeah. we're, we just own the game. It's not mm-hmm. even a close. We get a penalty in the last minute of the first period. Shortly thereafter, we get another penalty. We're down two men. There's about 40 seconds left, maybe 45 seconds left in the first period. Jacques calls a timeout. Jacques calls a timeout. They scored two goals. He recognized right at that moment in time that there was a chance for his team to to take control of a game, to take control of a game 
and understand that this was a more because like it was tilted it was tilted and like I, I remember talking to our coach Greg Gilbert after the game he goes wow he took that uh, he, he took that uh time off. I said he got his best players rested they scored two goals on us and they won the game what do you mean he, you don't get a bonus for keeping your timeouts yeah recognizing the moment in the game and that might come like I just told you I, it was it was in the last minute of the first period. It, yeah. it was, I don't know what, what, when the month was, Jacques understood this is the time that I have to get my team settled down. That's part of experience. I think Marty will learn that. Marty's a sharp cat. He's a, he's a guy that'll learn that. To yeah. your point last night, somewhere along the line, you know, he might have thought about it. You know, it, it, if you're thinking about it, I always would say call the timeout. Because you're you're already thinking about ways, and and sometimes you can't wait for the TV timeout. I know coaches want to do that. Listen, last week in Arizona, in the in the dying minute, the, the, there was a TV timeout coming. Marty was waiting. It was after the six minute mark. There was a continuous play. There was an icing. He was waiting to pull Jake Allen because he knew that there was a television timeout coming. Once it went under two minutes, the television timeout was wiped out, and that's what ended up happening. So. I get it. Like, you, you know, you're trying to manage sometimes those TV timeouts. Sometimes they don't come. But as a coach, having your finger on the pulse of when the time is right, and if you're thinking about it, you should pull the trigger. Because, you know what, you, you don't get to accumulate timeouts from game to game. All right. Uh, seeing as you brought up Jacques Lemaire, let me ask you, in-game coaches, out of all the coaches you've seen in your life, where do you rank them? Jacques? Yeah. Oh, top five. He was unbelievable. He was unbelievable. The way he, I mean, he, he learned under the best, Scotty. Sure. <laughs> like, you know, but, you know, Al Arbor was was fantastic. Glenn Sather, I mean, you know, I, I don't think Glenn gets enough credit for being such a terrific coach. And, and, he, and he was an in-game coach. He was an in-game coach and understanding where you, where you can take advantage. And Jacques was top five. I mean, he, 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 I, he, was, he was unbelievable. He was unbelievable in terms of, and, and and sometimes they were just slight adjustments, but, but he, he knew what was happening. I, I, I'll tell you another great Montreal Canadian. I mean, uh, yeah. I, great, just a great person in my life, Doug Jarvis. Yeah. Ken Hitchcock will tell you, Doug Jarvis could spot what was going on and make an adjustment like that. Ken said that Doug Jarvis was invaluable to him in recognizing here's what they're doing and here's what we have to do. A lot of coaches can I go, oh, here's what they're doing. How do you make the adjustment? That makes sense to me because Jarvis was a student of the game. Oh, he was yeah. brilliant. Ken, yeah. Ken's going into the Hall of Fame this summer, being inducted this weekend, inducted. And I'll tell you what, he, he will tell you that Doug Jarvis and Rick Wilson deserve to be right there with him because wow. they were instrumental in helping him really, you know, work the game, coach the game, you know, make adjustments in the game. They were Doug, Doug was phenomenal. Yeah, uh, you know, I last week I told you that Jean Perron sent his regards because I had seen yeah. him and I talked to him about you and he, he said, send Craig my regards. He says, Craig's a great hockey man and I really, really like him. So I did so. But part of that conversation we were talking with, uh, with Jean, uh, Jean brings up, um, you know, uh, Canada Cup often and he brings up the Rendezvous 87 often. And um, Canada Cup, Jean Perron told me that he learned a lot from Mike Keenan. He said, Tony, Mike Keenan was such a sharp bench boss. He can 
pick up things yeah. like that. He was unbelievable. So we didn't bring up his name yet, and I don't know if he's in your list or not, but according to Jean Perron, uh, who also has Jacques Lemaire way up there, he told me that Mike Keenan was very, very sharp. Very sharp. Well, he, I mean, he, you don't have the success that Mike Keenan had and not be sharp. And, and yeah. I, 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 Mike... Mike really had his finger on the pulse of the team too. And he wasn't afraid. I mean, we're, we're coach, some coaches were more strategic and I'm not suggesting Mike Keenan wasn't strategic, but Mike was also like, here's what's going to happen. And you're going to sit on the bench or you're not going to play. I, I know that there's a, there's a great story about he had Alexi Kovalev and, you know, Alexi just a great person was a phenomenal player, but he was young. He was playing in New York and he would take long shifts while Mike wouldn't let him come off the ice. He went over and he stood by the door and he put his foot on the door. He wouldn't let him come in the door. And Five I think shift, I think yeah. Alexi I think Alexi had to have like a three minute shift. I think unbeknownst to Mike though, I think that Alexi was quite happy to have a three minute shift. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> Uh, okay, but so, that's where Mike. That's where yeah. Mike had the feel. He had feel for people, and 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 there's different feels. Like yeah. this guy's going. I got to get him out there more, or that player might be a little bit leery of that of, of that guy. You know, it's it, it, it's interesting how how you get matchups and and where coaches can get that feel of going. I got to get this player out against that player. Yeah, I got to get that player away from that player. And you you know on on the bench, you know at that ice level. You know th- those coaches that have that feel, and certainly Mike did. Mike did have that feel. It's it, 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 it's what separates. It does separate. Yeah, a, a part of me is still a little bit upset with Jacques Lemaire because growing up a huge fan of Guy Lafleur, I think that Jacques at one point <laughs> killed the Flowers' passion for the game and kind of forced him into his first retirement. But I do have to admit that after having the career that he had behind the bench, I remember, and I'm sure you do, of course. When the New Jersey, when Jacques Lemaire's New Jersey Devils swept Scotty Bowman's Detroit Red Wings yep. in the Stanley Cup final, uh, I mean, talk about a huge satisfaction for him. The student beating the professor at his own game wasn't that something. Okay, so let me let's get back to the Canadians if we can here, and I want to I want to go back a couple of days because of course we talk every Wednesday, so it's been a week since we talked last. So last week we talked on Wednesday. The Canadians were playing Arizona on Thursday, and. I really wanted to see Uri Slavkowski play with Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield. I thought all eyes were going to be on Slavkowski. All eyes were going to be on Cooley because of the 2022 draft, of course. And, you know, Slavkowski's confidence had hit rock bottom. And I thought this would be a great opportunity. Arizona had played the night before. You know, hopefully he does well. He scores a goal. And all of a sudden, everyone's talking about him at the end of the game instead of talking about Cooley. They don't do that. He doesn't have a very good game. And lo and behold, Logan Cooley ends up getting an assist on the game-winning goal. They say better Slav than never because uh, Slavkowski ended up playing on the first line with Suzuki and Caulfield on Saturday night in St. Louis, and he actually ended up scoring a goal but not playing with them on the second wave of the power play, got a, a pass from Newhook and went to the net, and Gallagher was on the ice as well. Didn't do anything last night, unfortunately for him, but on Monday, Marty St. Louis was asked about Slavkowski because that's been the the number one thing that's been coming up, of course, here in Montreal. Slavkowski, his development, Slavkowski's development. You and I talked about it last week, and I think we even talked about it the week before. So he answered the question with an analogy. It's in French, but I know you do understand it, but I will translate anyway. 
We got it. Yeah, I, I, don't I, know I, I read it. It was great. It was all about ways. Yeah, it was about ways. Let's let's hear it though. Let's go. Là, vous autres, vous utilisez euh, Waze? Quand tu t'en vas quelque part, tu utilises tu Waze? Yeah. Fait que tu mets ton adresse. T'sais, mettons, tu vas aller à une belle place. Là, là. Tu mets ton adresse dedans. Elle, elle te dit combien de temps que ça va te prendre, combien de milles. OK? Puis là, mais là, tu pognes du trafic. Qu'est-ce qui arrive à, au temps? Est-ce qu'il monte ou il descend? OK. Est-ce que tu tournes de bord ou tu continues? Tu continues. Puis si tu manques une sortie, t'es sans maudit, puis tu retournes chez vous, ou tu as ferry routé, puis tu, tu arrives pareil à destination? Non, c'est une question pareille, là. Yes. Tu moi, moi, je vis ma vie de même. Puis euh, c'est ça qu'on fait avec Slav. Slav, il, il s'en va d'une belle destination. On sait pas exactement combien de temps ça va prendre. Puis des fois, il y a du trafic, puis il faut pas qu'il se fâche. Pas qu'ils se découragent. Puis des fois, on va manquer une sortie. Mais on va, on, on va se replacer. Tu on n'a pas toutes les réponses quand qui va être exactement où c'est qu'il va être. Mais je sais qu'il s'en va d'une belle place. Fait que c'est dur pour le jeune d'être dans le trafic des fois. Puis manquer une sortie. Puis écouter tout le monde qui parle de tout ça, là, du trafic qui a, qui a pogné, puis euh, des sorties qui ont manqué. C'est pas facile pour un homme de 19 ans. Fait qu'on essaie de l'aider avec ça. He's got some great quotes and he's got some great analogies, that's for sure. But he said, listen, I'm sure you all use Waze. And when you do use Waze, sometimes you're going to get stuck in traffic. And when you do get stuck in traffic, what do you do? You turn around and go home or you just keep on going and it's going to add time, right? Well, he says also when you're using Waze, sometimes you're going to end up missing your exit. When you miss your exit, what are you going to do? You're going to change your mind, turn around and go home or... Or you're just going to continue going, you'll get rerouted, and you'll get off at the next exit. He says, Slaff is going to a great place. I don't know how long it's going to take because there might be traffic or he might miss his exit, but eventually he's going to get there. Now, some thought it's the greatest analogy they've ever heard, and others <laughs> thought it's somewhat flawed. I'm curious to think what Craig Button thinks. I'm well, curious to know what Craig Button thinks. I, I, I think a couple of things. <laughs> the, the first thing I think is, you know, Marty Marty might want to be uh, on the helicopter uh, doing the uh, Montreal traffic <laughs> because he understands <laughs> that, you know, exits are closed and, you know, with all the construction that's going on and, you know, you got you to gotta do that. But all kidding aside, you know, he, he's trying to, for me, he, he, he understands that there's, a, that, that there's, let's use ways. We drafted this player, and we have a destination we want him to get to. So now we've plugged it into Waze. And usually Waze will give you a time frame. If you're going, if you're going and you want to get to someplace, it'll tell you, hey, listen, get off here, and it'll tell you it'll be 17 minutes. That's not the case with development. And, and, and you're not sure exactly. And Marty made that point. We don't know when he'll get there. He is going to a good place. But along those lines, you know, like you're trying to, you're trying to understand – Okay, he's on the right path. But the path is also going to be, you know, is it winter? Is it summer? You know, if it's winter and the, and the roads are covered with snow, you might not be able to get traction. So I'm going to use an analogy and say, that's what it looks like to me with Slav. He's got his car plugged into ways. He knows where he wants to go, but he's in deep snow right now and he doesn't have winter tires. <laughs> and he can't get any traction in the NHL. So what do you do? Well, you might have to pull over to the side of the road. 
You might have to take the car and park it and say, hey, listen, you know what? You know, you're not ready. You know what? The car is not winterized. I don't think the Slavkovsky's NHIs. So I, I love Marty's analogy. I love what he's saying. I love his confidence in terms of saying what the destination is. But I don't think I like I, I I don't think that he has got the traction now on the road to get to 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 be able to hold his own on the road right now. I said that for weeks. I said it last year. There is nothing in this game that has made me change my mind. There is nothing that Marty's going to say to me right now that's going to make me change what I see. I see a player that is really, really in above his head, and that's not good for development. He's still young. Everybody. Yeah, oh, yeah. I think he's Every- got good potential. Don't get me wrong. I'm not yeah. giving up on him. No. The, the, no I don't want I, that I to be misconstrued here. And, well, and that's why I actually said it, because there are some who are going to say, guys, he's 19 years old, so we get that, right? We're not we're, – we're, Craig Button's not saying what he's saying because he's picking on Slavkowski. He's saying what he's saying because this is what Craig Button thinks, and this is what he thinks is the best for Slavkowski, and he wants what's best for Slavkowski. But even though he's still young and he's only in his second season and he's got, what, just over 50 NHL games under his belt, are you at all concerned or worried that this player, when all is said and done, is not going to be able to reach that potential that was seen in him to make him the first pick overall. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not at that point now. I'm not, not, not even close to that point now. I, I, again, I'm going to use. I'm going to go back to the ways of the car. Like you, you, like let's just say you know there's different kind of cars, and and every first overall pick is different. So let's just say you see him as a Mercedes, okay? Maybe he's not, he's not a Porsche. You know, Connor McDavid's a Porsche. You know, let's just say he's a Mercedes, right? Well, if the Mercedes doesn't have winter tires on it in the dead of winter, I don't care how good the car is or how good the car can perform, you know, when, it, when, when it's got everything in place. It, it, it's, it's the Mercedes that, that's not right now equipped to run on these roads, the NHL roads, he's not he's not equipped to run on these NHL roads. He he can be a Mercedes. But but if you're not equipped, I, I like great. So I drive Mercedes. I have all the bells and whistles, but I'm not equipped to, to run it in, in in these conditions. Yeah. I, I think that your Slavkowski can be a big, strong player in the mold of a Claude Lemieux, Milan Lucic. I've said this, I'll say it to, 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 to the end of time. When you draft a player, know what you're getting. Celebrate what you're getting, and don't over don't over project a player. And because what ends up happening is a lot. And, and I've been there. You over project. Oh yeah, he's going to be a 35 goal scorer. Well, it, why don't we just say that we think he can really help our team, and we see him getting between 18 and 25. If he gets 35, great. But 18 to 20 goals in this league, doing a lot of things, is really important. And and I had to learn that. And I think for your eye, it's just about being patient and understanding that he is young. You, you just said it, Tony, 50 games in the NHL. He's still a rookie. He's still a rookie. He's mm-hmm. entering the second half of his rookie season right now. What do we expect from him? And so I, the, 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 there's no question in my mind that he can be a really good, strong, contributing, impactful player. Claude Lemieux was. He won a Conn Smythe in the, in, the, in, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. He won Stanley Cups. 
you, yeah. you, you consider Milan Lucic, one Stanley Cup, understands what it takes. I think Uri Slavkowski can be a really important player on winning teams. And I, but he's not, he, it's going to take some time. He's young. He's half, he's just beginning the second half of his rookie season. Let's keep that in mind. And if uh, Patrick Waugh didn't uh, stand on his head in 1986, or, <laughs> you know, Cole you probably would have won uh, another Smythe because he yeah, was really I good mean, in, the, in, the, in 86. He was really good. He sure was. Yeah. Okay. I'm having said all that, I am really happy that he's playing with Suzuki and Caulfield because I believe that. You know, he was on a line that was really struggling, right, with Newhook and Josh Anderson. Newhook didn't look like he was playing like a centerman, didn't look comfortable at center, was losing a ton of draws. Josh Anderson, unfortunately, uh, has really struggled with consistency. Uh, the stats show that every time a player is playing with Anderson, their chances of um, shot attempts per goals are are actually inferior with Anderson. So I'm happy he's playing with Suzuki and Caulfield. And I actually said, I'd love it if Marty can give them 10 games together. And then at the end of the 10 games, then we revisit before another decision is taken at that point, whether he belongs or he doesn't belong or whether keep him in the National Hockey League or, you know, a stint in Laval, however long it may be, will be beneficial. Um, Am I, what do you think about me saying I want to see him play 10 games with those guys? What's your opinion on that? Well, I like it. So I'm going to answer your question right off the bat. I'm going to say I like it. And, but I like it for these two reasons. Number one, where the Montreal Canadiens find themselves, it's in a place where, you know, there's going to be some growing pains. There's going to be some, some bumps along the road. And, and that's, just, that's just where they're at in, in, in this particular phase of their buildup. And then mm-hmm. they got lots of really good young prospects. I don't think there's any question that the optimism for the Montreal Canadiens future is very strong. Number two, Marty St. Louis it, it, it is very positive and, he, and, and he's somebody that will, will allow somebody and, and allow players to try to see how time can get them a little bit more comfortable. Because Marty went through that same experience as a player. So I think that he he understands he feels it and coaches you can you, you can know something and, and believe in it but Marty feels it so I think for those two reasons I think it's it, your idea is a good one and so let's see where he's at and unless he gets totally overwhelmed and and, and, and you know your eye has a it's not like you're looking at a player and you're going geez like you know like why is he even here you know he gives you glimpses and he gives you something which gives you uh, reason for optimism, but I like the thought. I like the idea for the if 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 you're if you got if you got a coach that doesn't that doesn't feel it that might not be willing to do that a team that's in a different phase might not be the right thing. But but I like the idea for those reasons, and I think I, I think that it would be instructive for player, for coach, for management, for the organization to go through that process and, and let's see how it goes. All right. Uh, Marty was asked earlier today, I believe, by Eric Engels, uh, our collaborator, of course, on Monday nights, about the pressure that Suzuki and Caulfield must be feeling to get this team out of the rut. They're the two most important offensive players, with all due respect to Sean Monahan, or two of the three most important players offensively. 
And Eric said, you know, they must be putting pressure on themselves. What advice can you give them in regards to this pressure that they're putting them on, on themselves? This is what Marty St. Louis had to say. You put yourself in the shoes of the guys who are expected to score for the team, guys like Suzuki and Caulfield, who are doing that at a younger age. They put that pressure on themselves. How, how can they manage it as best possible? Well, for me, honestly, like, of course, I love scoring goals, uh, love, you know, making plays, getting assists and stuff. But I, whether I scored two or, 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 or didn't score any, it was minus. Uh, I always watch my game uh, without being result driven. I was watching where I went on the ice. I was watching my teammates, my line mates, where they went on the ice. I was watching it uh, just with truth, whether I had produced or not and it's it kept me sane uh, because there's games that that you don't produce and you play great and there's games where you score two and you played terrible so to me like I, uh, in terms of like the pressure of scoring just watch your game and have some truth to how you assess your game and I think if you do that you don't go in too many slumps What's your first observations after listening to that? Because there's one that came to my mind, and I can't wait to share it with you, but I'd like to hear yours. He's used the word truth now a number of times in, in different scenarios. You know, truth about how you're playing, truth as a team, truth is where you're at in your, in your progression, not only collectively, but individually. And, 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 and I think he really applies that, that really well. I, I do believe that a lot of times uh, – you know, from the outside, we, we think, and, and I say collectively, we, that, you know, oh, the players are putting pressure on themselves. Nick Suzuki's a high performer. Cole Caulfield's a high performer. There's no outside pressure that'll put more pressure on themselves than what they do to go out every single game and try to be at their very best. And to Marty's point, you know, if you're truthful with yourself and you're honest and you can say, listen, I had four great scoring chances here, and if I get them, you know, it's, it, it's going to be positive. You know, when you think about Cole Caulfield and you think about before Marty came in, M Marty did two things with Cole Caulfield. He told Cole Caulfield, he said, you're not going to score from where you're taking your shots. you got to get inside, you got to get tighter inside to the slot, and you got to get your shot off quicker. And all of a sudden, he was scoring. And I, I, I think that Marty, because of the success he had, again, we're back to the field. Like, he, he understands that. And, and, again, you're trying to instill that in your group. And some nights, you, 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 to go to a player and say, hey, listen, you were fine. You were fine. You, you, you played a really strong game. I knew you didn't score. But those types of games are going to go in your favor a lot more than, than not. And, and I think you always have to keep preaching that. But, you know, the, the Pearson, Monaghan, Gallagher line has been good. Suzuki and Caulfield have been good. Trying to find that left winger. You know, you got Kirby Dock out. And we got – we've talked about it. Slavkovsky offensively, Newhook offensively, Anderson offensively. It's leaving some really some real holes in their lineup. And Marty's trying to find some, some combinations, but, but he doesn't want to break up the the fourteen twenty two combo and he certainly doesn't want to break up the seventy ninety one eleven combo. So now, you know, I wonder like for me, what's Marty thinking in China? I know Dvorak's back in the lineup now and you like where do you go from here? But I think his point is do the things, you know, we, the term gets used and but but it's a good term. 
play the right way, mm-hmm. play the right way, and mm-hmm. you're going to have success. And I think that's his emphasis with, with Suzuki and Caulfield. Listen, they're frontline players. They're top players. They're key players. To me, they do so many things in the game that are positive, and their positives far outweigh their negatives. Yeah, you'd like them to score every game, but that's not going to be a reality. So go through the process and do those things. And when you're not good, just say, hey, I wasn't good enough. And, yeah. you know, that's that's what you have. And then come back and recognize what you didn't do well and make sure you don't do it again. I'll tell you what caught my attention in his answer. Eric didn't ask Marty. Marty, when you look back to when you were a player, how did you manage the pressure? He asked them, what advice do you have for Suzuki and Caulfield managing that pressure that they're putting them on themselves? That's what he asked them. And Marty's answer was how he dealt with the pressure when he was a player. So I don't know if he answered like a player instead of answering like a coach. And I don't know if that's okay. Maybe it is because he's got all that experience. Why not use it? Maybe it'll, 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 um, um, it'll resonate better with the players. I'm not sure, but am, am I onto something here? Like, does Marty coach like he's still playing? And if so, I don't is, think he, is, is that a bad thing? Okay, so I don't think he coaches like he's still playing. Okay, I think he has the. I, I, I think he 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 has, he 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 has the feel as, of a player, a feel of a player that he can use in his coaching. He 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 can get. I think Jacques Lemaire had that. I think Jacques Lemaire had a, you know, Scotty didn't play. So Scotty couldn't have that. Jacques Lemaire did have that. I think Larry Robinson had that. You know, I'm just naming a couple of, of people. And, and, and you, you know, you think about when I see, when I see Marty, Bob Gainey had that. He, he, could, he could say, hey, I know how that player's feeling. And, and he could go and talk to the player and just try to ease the burden. Or, or hey, sometimes, sometimes you got to ratchet up the pressure on players. Like, sometimes it's not about easing the pressure mm-hmm. and understanding how you responded to it and having that feel and just being able to look. And, and, and I, call it, I, I call it touch. you got to have that touch for, for people. And Marty's playing experiences were outstanding. And I think that you gotta pull. You gotta be able to lean on those playing experiences, and and be able to 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 still feel them in your coaching, because the players still want to be good and they want to be top notch. You know, Suzuki and Caulfield certainly do. Yeah. And and so I think that so I don't see any problem at all with what Marty. And I don't think he's I don't think he's trying to be a player. I think he's just trying to have that touch, a player's touch, and not losing that feeling of what it means. Hey, listen, I was there, and I got to work with them to do that. I've been so impressed with Marty on so many different levels, you know, in so many different ways. You know, his patience, he'll be demanding when he needs to be demanding. And I, I think he understands, you know, people. I think he understands what he's dealing with. And and I think you're – I really believe listening to him talk, talking to him, like in when when I get the opportunity in in, in, in any number of, uh, of of situations, I, I think he's on the verge of being a, 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 a like that. He will find his way to being an outstanding coach. I really believe that. I I think what's f- uh, most funny about what you just answered is that you said that um, in in so many different ways. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I think I would was the W A Z E. That's okay. Marty was asked last night, the Canadians lose and they lose convincingly, especially the first period. Once again, Tampa yeah. Bay was up by a score of four to nothing. I've said this often since last night, and I really do say it with no dis, with with no intent to disrespect the Canadians, but the first period really looked like the, the Harlem Globetrotters versus the Washington Generals. I mean, Tampa Bay was really upset about blowing that lead in Toronto the night before. I mean, they were going, and my God, it, like Kucherov was... He was magic last night. It was something to see. But he was asked at the end of the game, you know, can this loss, and nobody wants to lose, but it can, can it actually help you going forward so that, you know, there's certain things that you'll know that you have to fix or, you know, serve as a, as a, as a learning moment for your team? Let's, let's listen carefully. Tu sais, euh, le, 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 le succès qu'on a eu de bonheur cette saison, ça l'a peut-être caché des petites affaires. Tu sais, puis, euh, puis je, je vais prendre la responsabilité de ça comme jeune entraîneur, de, de, de faire attention, de pas... Euh, 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 dive in vraiment, tu sais, sur chaque partie de, la, de chaque département de la game. Juste parce que tu gagnes. Je te dis pas qu'on n'a pas fait ça. Mais des fois, tu sais, tu, tu mets un, un, un band-aid, tu as peut-être besoin d'une petite opération. Puis tu sais, quand tu n'as pas les résultats, mais là, ça te fait, là, là, ça, ça te fait vraiment euh, 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 travailler. Puis, euh, puis si tu n'as pas ce euh, si euh, euh, minding-là, mais euh, peut-être que tu mets des band-aids pendant trop longtemps. Puis là, à un moment donné, mais tu as besoin d'une bien trop grosse opération, c'est trop tard. Fait que c'est. Ça fait partie d'une de de, 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 saison. Je suis content que ça arrive là. Euh, puis euh, on va continuer à, 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 à travailler pour, pour tourner de l'autre côté. Mais c'est. Euh, ça fait partie de ça. Puis on. on faut, faut pas que. T'attaques euh, ça avec. Euh, euh, L'énergie négative, je dis tout le temps, les réponses sont partout. On les cherche, on les trouve, puis euh, on va continuer à enseigner puis à essayer d'avancer. Craig, there was a lot of humility in this, in what was a long answer. But long story short, Marty said, sometimes when you win games prior to that, you kind of don't really pay as much attention to other things because it was kind of like overshadowed by the win and you move on. And, and he said, you know, not to say that we did that, but maybe we did. And, but, you know, even if we won a game and I knew that something wasn't right, I probably put a bandaid on it, but he says, maybe what was needed was a little operation, but I put a bandaid and then we win another game and I put another Band-Aid, and we win another game, and I put another Band-Aid. And now, losing the games that we've lost here down the stretch, and especially the way they lost last night, you realize that it's not the Band-Aid that was needed, but maybe a little surgery. And now, if you end up putting too many Band-Aids, uh, it might get to the point where you need a big surgery. So he says, anyway, look, at the end of the day, we just we got to keep on working. Uh, we got to keep on teaching. and you know, 
the players will keep on learning and, you know, eventually we'll get there. I thought that was a, a lot of humility because without saying it, he held himself accountable and responsible for some of their shortcomings and some of their losses. Didn't you find? Watching somebody grow as a coach. I just talked about where he's at. He's not even a hundred games in as a coach in the national hockey league. And I think he, I think he's got, you just, so you just added another thing, humility. So he's got humility. He's got intelligence. He's got drive. He's got feel. And you, you know, all those things. And he, he like, you know, he, he's a work in progress and, and he's trying to pull all those things together. And now he's recognizing, okay, yeah, maybe I did overlook that. And, we go back and and I, I mean you're lucky I'm lucky because I I, I I I watched him coach for so long and I uh, worked with people that knew him and were coached by him. Scotty Bowman started coaching in St. Louis before he came to Montreal. Mm-hmm. Sammy Pollock knew Scotty pretty well, and Sammy Pollock was quite happy when Sammy or when Scotty went and coached in St. Louis before he brought him to Montreal. Scotty always pushed his players hardest after wins. When they were winning, he said, I pushed them hard. He goes, because there's a joy in winning. There's a satisfaction in winning. And there's, you're, you're not in a mood. And he said, I was more forgiving when we lost. He goes, I knew there was things that we had to correct or some things that didn't go our way. He goes, but I knew I could push them when we were winning. <laughs> he goes, and, you know, Ken Hitchcock was like that. Again, I bring back Ken because he's going into the Hockey Hall of Fame. Yeah. You know, it, it, when things are moving along, you know, you, you it's easy to keep it in cruise control, and and it is. But when you when you're coaching, and Marty touched on it, right? Putting band aids on it, right, is not the right thing because you know it, it might need a couple of stitches. And you know what? The cut just gets bigger, and before you know it, you you you, you got to cut out an infection. And I, I think this is I think it's Marty's humility, and and he's also showing you that he's learning too. He like he's in a learning curve too. Like, like, Kent Hughes is a new GM. Like, mm-hmm. he's not 100 games into his career as a GM. He's learning, and Marty's learning, and the younger players are learning, and everybody's learning together. And I think that, that understanding where you need to get better, not only as a player but as a coach and as a manager, is, so they're all in this – they're all in this uh, – I don't want to call it an exercise. It's not the right. They're, they're all in this endeavor together. Like they really are. They're all together doing. I was. This. I was going to. They're say, all learning in different ways. I was going to say they're all in school together, or they're all in the same. Yeah, that's like, true. You know, like yeah, they're in class. So true. You know. Yep. Uh, by the I way, I could use ready. a Montreal. I could say they're in the biosphere. <laughs> get ready. <laughs> One or two more questions on the Canadians, and okay. eventually I will ask you about Ken Hitchcock, because like you said, he's going to be one of several Hockey Hall of Fame inductees for 2023. So get ready. That's coming up. Uh, in ending here, one or two more regarding discipline, because I, I have a I have a theory. I don't know if it sticks. I've shared it with a lot of people on every platform I've been on in the last 24 hours, whether it was the sick podcast last night or whether it was television earlier this evening or radio earlier this morning. I have a theory that I want to throw your way to see if it sticks with you. But Marty St. Louis was asked about a couple of bad penalties down the stretch last night in the hockey game. Canadians are down 4 nothing, uh, No goals in the second. In the third, they get two goals in less than 40 seconds. Suzuki's one. Pizzetta's another. 4-2. All of a sudden, the Canadians have the momentum. 
an Arbor Jack guy who wasn't happy with how a fight went for him earlier in the game versus Tanner Janot. There's a scrum, and he decides to punch Janot in the face a couple of times with his glove on and ends up getting four minutes for roughing. Janot gets two, gets the extra penalty, and it killed any momentum they had. St. Louis was asked about those penalties last night at the end of the game. That's what he had to say. Ben, c'est parce qu'on vient, on a le momentum, on vient de scorer un, un tu sais, on, on perd par quatre, mais là, tu sais, t'en scores deux rapidement de même, c'est une game de deux buts, puis tu sais pas, t'en scores un autre, tu sais pas, mais on se donne pas la chance à prendre des punitions comme ça. All right, uh, so a couple here. Uh, it's obvious yeah. listening to Marty. Clear. That, <laughs> yeah, it's very clear. It's obvious listening to Marty that he thought that Arbor Jack guy put himself ahead of the team in that moment. Yep. Uh, speaking to people that have done this job before, uh, Chris Nyland, George Larac, they've told me that sometimes you just you got to make the player do it because he takes so many for the team that every now and then you have to be able to make him take one for him. But you still hear Marty wasn't happy. I have a theory on some of these slow starts. The Canadians give up the first goal often, and all these penalties the Canadians are taking, there's a lot of lack of discipline penalties they take a lot of them mm-hmm. craig can it be that as much as we all like the whole we're in a rebuild we're in a rebuild we're in a rebuild we don't need the schedule up or the uh, uh the standings up in the locker room because you know what it's not about that it's about getting better progressively uh it's about getting better individually it's about getting better collectively can it be that all this rebuild talk I don't know if I should use the word excuse for players, but it's kind of like, um, okay, you know what? If we start slow, it's not the end of the world. We're in a rebuild. Or if we take too many penalties, you know what? It's it's not the end of the world. We're in a rebuild. And, you know, probably no one's going to end up paying the price for us starting slow or no one's going to end up paying the price for us taking too many penalties because we're in a rebuild. I, I, I This is my theory on it. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering what you think. I know Max Lapierre disagrees with my opinion. I'll tell you his opinion in a second. What's yours? Well, you know, and, and let me just talk about Arbor real quickly too, because yeah, because I agree with I agree with Chris and George. You know, there are times. I mean, Arbor. You think about the first game of the season when Ryan Reeves nailed uh, Gooley from behind. Like Arbor didn't even bat an eyelash. He went right after Ryan Reeves. Yeah. And not not happened on me. So certainly, Chris and George, who who performed in that role, and and understand. You're right. There's times when when the coach has got to say, "Hey, listen, you know what." We're, we're, that one's on us. We're going to take that because they give us so much. But in the situation last night, you know, and Marty talked about momentum. <laughs> like the, 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 whether you believed it was there, there was a feeling that maybe that wasn't the right time to do it. And anyway, regardless, uh, I think that discipline in the game, whether you're 18 years old, whether you're 30 years old, I think it has to be emphasized every single day. I think that, you know, Uh, you have to ensure that the disciplines in the game, the, the old adage about don't beat yourself when you take penalties because you're not disciplined, you take penalties because you you're on the wrong side of the puck. You take penalties because you didn't take an extra step. Those are ones that you've got to hammer on the players because you're trying to instill a level of discipline that's going to carry through for the rest of their careers, not just through a rebuild, 
period, all the way through. And it's something that I think has to be emphasized continuously. And I don't care if you're like in the minors, like you go to Laval and I'm, if I'm watching guys go offside and you're not running it in practice and you're taking bad penalties in Laval, I'm going to be all over you. It can't be. Those are certain qual. There are certain disciplines in the game that cannot be allowed to slip. And I don't care how old you are. I don't care what the state of your team is in. Ken Hitchcock. Let's move on to him now. Uh, of course, you, you've talked about him a couple of times now, and rightfully so. He's going into the Hockey Hall of Fame, the fourth winningest coach in NHL history. I think that says it all. Um, won a Stanley Cup, defeating the uh, the Buffalo Sabres in what I believe was the 99 season. Yep. Uh, so talk to me about Ken Hitchcock, because I'm sure you have a couple of stories. Well, I, I've known Ken for a long time. I knew Ken when he was with Kamloops. And, you know, he, he ended up going as an assistant coach uh, with the Philadelphia Flyers. And, you know, I, I think that that's, you know, where he really was able to cut his teeth in pro hockey. And the person, th- there's a couple of people that I think deserve a tremendous amount of credit, you know, once Ken ended up in our organization. Number one, Les Jackson, longtime assistant manager and just a great person. He, he knew Ken. He knew Ken from junior hockey. He was instrumental in getting him into our organization, just instrumental. You know, tell, he, he basically said, Bob, this is the guy. And, and Ken went to Kalamazoo. He went to Kalamazoo. He worked in the, in the IHL. And, you, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, Les, you know, was spending time with him. We had, we had some good assistant coaches. And, and so when it came time, when Bob realized it was time for – a coaching change, you know, I don't think there was any question who the guy was. And, you know, I think the benefit for, for Ken was, you know, Bob had stepped down as GM, his, his lovely wife, Kathy had passed away the previous summer and Bob just kind of took a step away. And like a lot of coaches, like a lot of coaches, you know, you're comfortable with your own group and you have a group of people that, you know, and Ken was no different. And Bob said, listen, he goes, you got Doug Jarvis and Rick Wilson here. They're really, really strong people. You know what? We're making a change. We don't need to make multiple changes. Settle into the NHL. They're going to really help you. And by the end of the year, Ken just looked. He goes, yep, Jarvis and Wills are my assistant coaches. Like Ken recognized how good it was, right? And yeah. so having Doug Jarvis, Rick Wilson, and Bob Ganey there to work with Ken every day in the NHL, it was Ken was up in Bob's office all the time. He wanted to know. He wanted to know. Ken is such a, a learner. He wants to he wants to know things. How did you handle this? How would you handle this? And and Bob was Bob was like Socrates. Like, you know, he 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 would he he would give you an answer through a question and, and Ken would go. And but you know, he, he really, really encouraged Ken to be himself. I am sure when you talk to Jean Perron, and Jean Perron won the Stanley Cup in nineteen eighty six. You know, the Jean will tell you that when he came in, you know, from the University of Moncton to coach the Montreal Canadiens, the venerable Montreal Canadiens, there's no way it's not intimidating. You're walking into uh, in, 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 into uh, onto onto hallowed hallowed grounds, and yeah. you know, Bob and, and Larry Robinson, you know, you know, people, players that had won lots. I'm sure Jean will tell you how much they helped him and, and how, and, and Serge Savard is the manager, right? And, and I, I don't, there was no different. 
Yeah, and Jacques Lemaire. And it was no yeah. different. It was no different for Ken having Bob and Doug Jarvis and Rick Wilson. Because, you know, Ken's walking into a room and all of a sudden there's Joe Newendike and there's Mike Madonna and, you know, we, we, we have Ed Belfort, we have Andy Moog. And we, I mean, we have these, we have these wonderful players, top notch players. And, you know, and, and it, it, I, I wouldn't say it can be intimidating, but it can be, wow, like, okay, how do I deal with them? And I think that it's like, like one of the things that coaches learn, and, and this is where Marty's learning as well, is you learn that, hey, listen, players want to win. They want to be at their best. It's your job to help them be at their best. It's your job to, uh, to nurture them when they need nurturing. It's your job to push them when they need pushing. And I think that, you know, when, uh, when I think about Ken, Ken was comfortable, uh, you know, doing those things. But, you know, when he would, when he would, when something would come up or a challenge would come up, I remember what, like, a, I believe it was in 1999, we'd won the cup. Mm-hmm. Eddie, Eddie Belfour were, he, he, him and Hitch were having lots of, uh, <laughs> there was lots of friction. There was lots of friction. And we, they were in Boston. I remember I was in Dallas. We were in Dallas. Bob wasn't on the trip. We were there. And uh, Ken was, Bob just said, send him home. Send him back here. Send him out of there. We'll deal with it. And, you know, wow. and, and Hitch goes, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, like, you know what? It's not working for, for him. It's not working for you right now. So why are we going to keep you two together? There's no sense in keeping you two together right now. Like, so I'm wow. going to separate you. He goes, I can't have you come back and him stay because you're a better coach than he is. And Hitch kind of laughs, right? And then he came back, and Bob was able to get Eddie kind of settled down and at the same time talking to Hitch. But, but just, you know, Ken always knew that Bob had his back. He always knew that. Yeah. And I think that for a coach that was as good as Ken, that was as tactically sound and could push, I think, I think the, having Bob was, was so tremendous for him. But, you know, Ken, I'll never forget it. You, you know, one of my, one of my favorite stories, uh, one of my favorite memories, it's not even a story, We'd won the cup and God, Ken pushed, Ken pushed, trust me, Ken pushed, he pushed. And, you know, it's it's well into the celebration. Everybody's there. Families are there. Everybody that we've worked with, all, everybody. And uh, all of a sudden, Mike Keane stands up in the dressing room. And he goes, hey, quiet, everybody, quiet, everybody, quiet, everybody. And so he got everybody's attention. There's quiet in the room. He says, I just have one question for Hitch. He goes, now that we've won the Stanley Cup, what do we have to do better? And everybody laughed. Hitch laughed. Everybody laughed. But like Mike Keene, who, 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 hey, listen, he would challenge. Like good players challenge, winners challenge. You want strong people around you. Hitch yeah. wasn't. Hitch, Hitch, Hitch was comfortable with strong people pushing back at him. All right, and, so uh, amazing. A lot of success. I won't keep you too much longer, but I want to do this, okay. right? Out of respect for sure, the rest no of the problem. class of 2023, I want to bring up the names of the other uh, of the others who are going in and just okay. right off the top of your head, the first thing that comes to mind, your 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 your, your first your 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 memory of them, all right? Mike Vernon. Okay. Oh, Vernie was a winner and, and the the harder the game, the bigger the, the bigger the challenge. Vernie was up to it. He, he might have only been a five foot nine goaltender, but he played big and, uh, and and he had this great confidence. He he had the I can do it. I remember the fight versus Patrick Waugh. Oh yeah. <laughs> um that was one of them. 
And um, I also remember Mike Vernon outplayed Patrick Juan in the 1989 Stanley Cup final. He also he also outplayed him in 1997 to help Detroit win the Stanley Cup that year. That was yeah. in the Western Conference final. Yeah. That was in the Western Conference final. Patrick, Patrick did have the upper hand on him in '86, yeah. but yeah. but Vernon, yeah. Mike Vernon was a gamer. Mike Vernon yeah. was a gamer. Uh, Pierre Turgeon. You know what? Pierre was somebody that I think that played the game with a with a great amount of elegance, and he played it. He 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 was talented. I, I think that in, in a lot of cases, you know, Pierre may not have been appreciated as much as he should have been, but he, but he was an elegant player. He, he was competitive. You know, he's not, like I think about players like Jean Rattel, and I knew Jean Rattel, and I knew Jean Rattel, no Jean Rattel, and he's just such a wonderful person. He was a gentleman. That's and a sometimes when we, when we use the word gentleman and we use elegant, it, it, it tends to kind of – Get the hair up on on, on hockey on, on on hockey purists. I'll call them. Yeah. Neck. Oh, you can't play that way. Well, yeah, you can play that way. And I thought Pierre was was exemplary in in, in the way he played the game. Carolyn Willette. Carolyn Willette was a great player, and she was another player that the bigger the game, <laughs> the bigger her presence, the bigger her impact. And you know, you think about. All the all the big games she played in. You think about all all those moments where she delivered and she delivered in a significant way. I mean, Carol, Carolyn was was a was a significantly impactful player, and, and 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 you know she came through that kind of that era, kind of bridging between Haley Wickenheiser and the arrival of Marie Philip Poulin. She yeah. was a real like she was a like she like and and she was the constant there. She was the constant and winning all those things. Obviously, Marie Philippe is is still carrying on, but during that period of time, Carolyn was was a really instrumental player for the successes of Team Canada and, and not just the Olympics, World Championships, and so many other events. She 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 she's coaching wonderfully. She did whatever career. If she wants to go and have a have yeah. a career in coaching, there's no question in my mind she's going to be a great coach. Tom Barrasso. Hey, Tommy Barrasso won the Vezina and the Rookie of the Year as an 18-year-old coming out of Boxborough, Acton Boxborough High. I mean, and, 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 you know, he should have been in the Hall of Fame long ago. Uh, you know, we, we think about people that have – that, and, and, and I think it applies. I mean – Tom Tommy had a prickly personality, but at the end of it all, he performed. He he performed magnificently. He performed brilliantly, and his his record of of, of excellence in the league. I mean, you, you, the Vezina Trophy, first team All Star. I mean, how many times over the course of his career he he was considered in the top five, top three goaltenders in the entire National Hockey League, but. I mean, it, you wanted Tommy. He was a great puck handler, but you wanted Tommy in your net because Tommy was defiant, and I think that's a that, that's an essential quality for a goaltender. Henrik Lundqvist. Well, Henrik, <laughs> Henrik was what you would call kind of uh, not what you would call the traditional goaltender. He liked to play deeper in the net, and you, you think about players that have to be comfortable in their own skin. It, it wasn't a, it wasn't the way. The goaltenders were being taught. They were taught to butterfly and to get out and to close down the net. Henrik wanted to sit back a little bit more because he said, I can read the play better. I get more time to read the play. So much like Dominic Hasek was was an innovator in terms of the style yeah. he played, 
Henrik was an innovator in a different way, playing a little bit deeper in the net, being able to read the play a little bit better. And, you, you know, it's it's interesting. His twin brother is retired, Joel Lundqvist, and he was a great international player for Sweden. And, you know, Henrik was always the, the – the, they were identical twins. And Henrik was always the ahead of him, except in their draft year. Henrik, Henrik really – didn't didn't have a great draft year, and that's why he was a seventh round draft pick. But certainly after that, he he showed that you know he he was a not only a a, a better player than Yule, but you know that that draft year was just one of those things that just wasn't indicative of what he'd become. Turned into a fantastic, fantastic analyst. And what I love about it too, and his brother Yule always says this. He goes, "I don't understand." Henrik is always voted as one of the most beautiful male athletes in the world. He goes, I'm his identical twin. How am I not not one of the 50? <laughs> Good one. Good one. This one, last but not least, and it pains me to bring this one up because I hate it when people aren't alive to see themselves going to the Hockey Hall oh. of Fame. The late Pierre Lacroix. Uh, you know, I, I loved Pierre. I really did. I loved Pierre. I, I knew Pierre when he was an agent. You know, my dad knew Pierre very well. And then, you know, so I knew Pierre from a younger age. And, you know, kids that I played with were represented by him. And, you know, pe- players I knew were represented by him. So, and then I got work and I knew Pierre. And Pierre was – I love Pierre. Pierre treated me so well. He, he was a great agent. Did he, he work on their Bob Sove at one point for Jandek? Or did yes. he work on their yeah, yeah, Bob Sove? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think Bob Bob and him were partners, right? You yeah, know? because, and, you know, I brought up uh, Pierre Turgeon earlier on, but, of course, uh, he was his agent when Pierre Turgeon got traded to the Montreal Canadiens. Well, so, you know, yeah. growing up in Pierre Font, I mean, I used to go watch Bobby Sove play junior hockey and watch his, his brother, J.F., who you talk about, like, J.F. was a petite player. He ran that power play up for the Nordiques. How great was he? I mean, he was a power play specialist. But back to, back to Pierre. And then Pierre became a general manager, and he was a great general manager. You know, when you think about the builders category in the, in the Hockey Hall of Fame, I, I think Pierre Lacroix fits it perfectly. He built a great business as an agent. He, he, he represented great players, represented their best interests. He went to a, a franchise as a manager that, uh, you know, had, had been stuck in the doldrums for a long time, moved cities. Pierre was bold. The, you know, the, the, the manager, and, and, and it's interesting to me, I think Julian Breesbaugh has been bold in mm-hmm. terms of the moves he made to help uh, – Tampa Bay be successful. Keller McCrimmon has been bold. And everybody celebrates, you know, how bold Vegas was and how bold Julian Brisebois. Pierre Lacroix was bold before any of them. <laughs> he was the boldest of the bold. He was confident. I love being in his company socially. He was he was a competitor. He wanted to, to use a Jimmy DeVolano line. He wanted to take your eyes out and replace them with grapes. That was the great competitor in him. But I, he was a great, he was a bon vivant. That's what Pierre was. A wonderful, wonderful person. And bon vivant, Many of the times great. that I had with him with uh, over a glass of wine, dinner or lunch, it was always an enjoyable time. And, and, and you're right, Tony. I really wish he, I really wish he could be there. His lovely wife, Coco, is going to be there. She was so touched when she got yeah. the news. Eric, who's a, who's a terrific guy. You know, I just, you really wish that, 
Pierre could could be there and everything, but so deserving, so deserving, and so happy for the Lacroix family. Uh, Ottawa Senators double up on the Toronto Maple Leafs by a score of six to three earlier tonight. So I guess uh, in ending, we can calm down on the Patrick Watt talk over the next couple of days. Huh? <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Somebody said he went there for chicken parm. I don't know. Like, I mean, you know, everybody everybody has a sighting, right, Tony? You know how it yeah. goes. Or yeah, yeah. There, somebody, was, right? <laughs> there was there was supposedly there was a sighting yesterday, which which that sighting was actually dismissed earlier today by another report saying, no, no, he was not in Canada. He was in Quebec City. But uh, look, Patrick Waugh, I mean, a lot of people want to see him back in the National Hockey League. And maybe it's going to happen. I got to tell you this. I don't know if he's on their list or not, but, you know, he's got to, you know, he's got a relationship with Michael Anlauer. Obviously, what he did with the Quebec Ramparts is, is, uh, is pretty impressive. He's dying to get back in the game because we know that, uh, he regrets what happened in Colorado, uh, even though he had won the Jack Adams in the first year, uh, but probably thinks he's a better coach today and more ready for it. And a lot of people want to see him get this opportunity. It would definitely revitalize the rivalry between the Canadians and the centers. I'll tell you that much. It would be pretty amazing, hey, actually. You know, I, I can't go now because you just, you just brought up Patrick. I'm going to say this, okay? Yeah. I, 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 we talked about Marty learning as a coach, right? Yeah. Patrick was a, was a great player. He was a great player. We know how great he was. And, you know, he, he went – and then when he finished playing, he went to Quebec. And, and what did he do there? He went there and he, and he had success, right? He dug in. And But, you know, you come in and, and, and Patrick's fiery. That, that, that's what he's made out of. Like, I mean, the, he, he, the fire burns in him to win. And certainly he came into the NHL just like every other coach with zero NHL games coaching experience. And you learn and you learn. I, I can say this unequivocally watching Patrick over the last couple of years. And I, and I know a number of the kids who were on the Quebec Ramparts team, uh, uh, their parents who, who I knew well, grew up with them and their kids were on the team. Patrick went in there. They were 16 year old kids. They were boys. And he nurtured them along. And I heard that word from parents. I heard from the kids how, how much he nurtured them and helped them and worked them around. And then, you know, watching how his team performed brilliantly. I am talking brilliantly. Talking to Patrick and hearing him, you know, talk about his team and everything. I don't have any doubt in my mind that Patrick has learned from his past experiences coaching. And I will say this, that I have no doubt in my mind that Patrick, when he returns to the NHL, will be a hell of a coach, and whoever gets him is going to find a way to have a lot of success. He's ready. It might take – yeah, we can look at him and go, he's a little – who cares? He's ready. He's gone and done the work. No doubt in my mind he'll be a hell of a coach in the NHL. So are you saying you're convinced that Patrick Wall will once again coach in the National Hockey League? If he wants to. If I was a manager, and I'm telling you, and I – I needed somebody to – I, I, I watched him for the last two years with Quebec. He won a Memorial Cup. He, he's, he's damn good at what he does. It, it's going to take, uh, take a manager with a lot of courage because um, it's not everyone that's going to want to hire Patrick Waugh. But I believe you when you say that if you were a manager that you would hire him, I believe you. Yep. I, I'm telling you, I would. Hey, listen. Hey. And again, well, we talk about bold, right? We talk yeah. about bold. Like either you're going to be bold and have courage or get out of the league. You know what? Yeah. There's lots of places where it can be really safe for you. Patrick's a hell of a coach. And I don't, I, I think he's full. I, like, I think that he's learned and I think he'll return to this league and be terrific.
Some podcasts last 30 minutes, some last 45, some <laughs> last an hour. I went about 70 plus minutes with you. And I feel really guilty about it because I can imagine that you have a lot of things to do tonight. Craig, I, I apologize that you're so good and so interesting that I wanted to keep you as long as I did. All right. Listen, you can see my hands, right? Yeah. I have no handcuffs on them. Okay. okay you didn't you didn't keep me shackled to the chair. We had yeah. we, we went back and forth and we had a nice exchange. Yeah. You said at the beginning, I said that like, you know, long story short, no long story longer. I enjoy this. I enjoy your company. I enjoy doing this. You have nothing to apologize for. There's right. nights when maybe we'll be a little bit shorter, but on a night like tonight, you know what? There was lots to talk about, and I, I, I leave thoroughly, uh, uh, really happy and, and thoroughly enjoyed the time with you. And I think that what is most fitting is that you ended the show the way you started it, saying that you will, you would always use your timeout. <laughs> <laughs> Good on you. <laughs> Thank you, Craig. Thanks so much. Once again, he's the director yeah. of scouting for TSN. And, uh, you know, I can't wait for him to come down to Montreal during the holiday season because I'd like to invite him over for a beverage. Craig Button, thank you very much once again. What a treat. Thank you. Thank you, Craig. There you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. 70-plus minutes with Craig Button. I love this guy because... um. He has such um, an extensive background in hockey in an industry where I find there are a lot of people who sit on the fence. Maybe yes, maybe no. Yes, but maybe yes, but no, no. He gives you his opinion. I love people that give you their opinions and are not afraid about giving you their opinions and back up their opinions with things that make sense, whether they're right or they're wrong. He backs up his opinions and he gives you his opinions. And I love Craig button. I'm so happy that he's part of the sick podcast. I'm very happy that energy transportation group, a leading full service logistics provider serving all of North America. They are driven to be different. Mike Chinquino, uh, Sean Gerard, David Grassi and staff. Uh, I'm so proud and so happy that they're a part of this as well. As I am of Playground, over 600 machines, poker tournaments, and Playground casino games, daily promotions, and unmatched customer service. Why go anywhere else? Located just over the Mercia Bridge, only minutes from downtown Montreal. A shout-out to my buddy, Danny, with the yellow tie. And brewed in Quebec and a winner of a dozen international awards, La Bitta TB offers quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. La Bitta TB, embrace your true nature. A shout out to my buddy Aldo Geloso and Ted Farache. And for all of you, um, oh, speaking of playground, speaking of playground, uh, get ready. And I've told you this already because there's going to be an event. Here we go. Save the date. It looks like it's official. I was telling you since the summer that at one point we were going to get together. So here you have it on Saturday, December 16th. The sick podcast, myself, Agnello and Sammy, Juliana, Shane Gomal, some of our collaborators who can make it out. We will be there 
with you. More details to come. And it should be noted that the Montreal Canadiens actually, let's bring up, uh, actually, okay, hold on a second. I have the schedule here. I think they're playing the Islanders on that date. But uh, I got a pretty good memory, but some things I forget. So let me go to it. On Saturday, December 16th, the Montreal Canadiens host the New York Islanders at 7 p.m. So why not watch the game together? Why not even bring you the sick podcast on a Saturday night? And why not have a great bite to eat and maybe even play the slot machines together? How about that? We're going to have a great time. Get ready. More details to follow. More details to come. We kept you waiting, but it's going to be unbelievable. And I don't know how many people we're going to end up inviting, but I have a feeling we're going to end up inviting everybody because that's just the way Agnello and I, we do things. Saturday, December 16th, Playground. You ever been there before? No? Get ready. You're going to get hooked. Once you go to Playground the first time, you're always going back. You're going to love it. Once again, Thank you to all of our sponsors. Thank you to all of you. We'll come back with more information, of course, going forward. And I'll be back tomorrow night right after the Canadians visit the Detroit Red Wings at 10 p.m. Eastern. Tomorrow night, I will be back with the Sick Podcast. For you, my Sick Army, if you're going to leave us a review on Apple, I hope it's a five-star because I know that we give you everything we have in our gut, in our heart, and in our soul, and more. And if you liked it tonight, like it, share it with your friends, comment sick, S-I-C-K, S-I-C-K. Friend Yellow, Sammy and Juliana, Master Control. They're Cavallaro. I'm Marinaro. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinaro on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. LaVita.tv. Embrace your true nature. And Playground, your premier gaming destination.